everyone and welcome or welcome back to Scottish and Scared. I'm Stephanie and I will be telling you some strange and unusual tales from the country I call home, Scotland. Before we get into it, I would like to ask everyone listening to send in their strange or unusual experiences. They do not have to have taken place here in Scotland or relate to it in any way. If you have any requests for future episodes or you just fancy a wee gab, then please do not hesitate to get in touch. You can send us an email at scottishandscared at gmail.com and you can also follow us on Instagram at scottishandscared pod lastly if you wouldn't mind please rate review and share the show wherever you may be listening to it it really helps us out a bunch and a massive thank you to everyone who already has now let's get into it well hello there people i hope everyone is doing well and you're having an amazing day whenever you may be listening for me it is a monday night so i am here with a lovely little glass of iced tea fun fact about me i absolutely despise warm drinks especially warm coffee. Now I know that's very controversial but I despise it. I have had a pretty uneventful week with the exception of being tattooed last Tuesday which you would have seen if you follow us on Instagram. Uh, I put a few photos of it, photos of it up on my stories and my tattoo artist did as well. So um, yeah if tattoos are something that you're interested in by any chance please give us a follow. You will not be disappointed. Tattoos are my therapy and this one was well overdue. But apart from that, it has been a pretty boring, mundane week overall. So I'm hoping that this week is a lot better. The sun is shining, the sun has come back to Scotland. So yeah, I've been out and about going for walks and stuff. So hopefully this week has a wee bit more to talk about. In terms of show news, I am thinking about doing something that I would like your advice on. If you have been listening to this show from the very start, you'll know that I did have a co-host I did have a co-host for the first four or five episodes. They were super fun, but obviously I no longer have a co-host, which in turn has kind of changed the whole tone and layout of the episodes in general. So what I was doing uh, was I was actually considering revisiting those episodes and giving them a little bit of an upgrade, just to make them a bit more cohesive with how the show looks now. I know some people listen from the beginning and then become a bit confused or a bit disjointed when it's just suddenly me on my own and I think people listen to it at the beginning who aren't really a fan of the style and what we're going for and now um, listen to it and can enjoy it a bit more. So yeah, if that is something that you would be interested in me doing or you would prefer me just to leave them as it is, you enjoy them the way they are, then that's completely fine. Um, or if you have any specific episodes and like any, it doesn't have to just be from the start, anything that I've done throughout the show, if there's anything specific that you would like me to revisit, I would really like to hear your thoughts on that. I am more than happy to do that. I myself have kind of changed the way that I look, look into these things, research them and how I kind of uh, write things out now so yeah if there's anything like that that you would be interested in or interested in hearing me redo then please 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 get in touch and let me know so like I said my week has been pretty uneventful so we are just gonna get right on into the episode there's no mucking about this week and um, today's episode is about something that I've actually never spoke about on the show before and that is a good old spooky mental asylum Now, am I the only person who immediately thinks about American Horror Story whenever they hear the word asylum? Because asylum was my favourite season of American Horror Story. Um, But yeah, every time I hear that word, I just think of American Horror Story Asylum. But yes, today we are going to be discussing a place called Bangor Village Hospital. It's one that has been on the list for a very long time now. And I've also had a few of you lovely people message me about it, which was much appreciated. 
I will just say before we start, this place is uh, very old, so there is a lot of history that I am going to go into fully here. Um, in terms of hauntings, ghosts, all the good stuff that you're probably wanting me to go into here, that you're probably expecting, there's not a lot of it, so I just want to say that right off the bat. This episode is probably going to be more about the history of Bangor. Um, yeah, I will talk a wee bit about the end. Uh, I will talk a wee bit at the end about ghosts and all the kind of gory, weird, macabre stuff. Yeah, I'll go into that at the end. But for the more the meat and bones of this episode, I am just mainly going to be talking about Bangor itself and the history behind it and all that kind of stuff. So is that not something you're interested in? Then go listen to something else. But yeah, I just thought I'd let you know before we start. So with all that said, let's just get on into it and I do hope that you enjoy. So today Bangor Village Hospital can be found still standing in West Deckman, which is about 14 miles from Edinburgh uh, in West Lothian, just to give you kind of a wee bit of a rough location. The land it stands on is around 960 acres and that was bought in 1902 by the Edinburgh District Lunacy Board which sounds like a pretty badass board to be sitting on, I must say. Now, the reason for the land being bought in the first place was that during this particular time period, there seemed to be a massive increase in people suffering with mental illness. So much so that already standing asylums were just totally unable to treat or house them appropriately. So due to this, the board decided to build a completely new facility to help with this increasing problem. A competition was set up at the time for people who wanted the chance to construct and design this new facility. And this competition was won by a very famous Edinburgh architect, Mr. Hippolyte J. Blank. And I am so sorry if I've butchered your name. But yeah, him who at the time was mostly known for his gothic revival style churches, which are really actually quite beautiful if you decide to have a wee look at them. Churches and chapels and all that kind of stuff really aren't my bag, but these are just the style. I think it's the gothic style. They really are gorgeous. So if that's something you're interested in, then please go have a wee look. So his idea was to model the grounds after the village system of patient care, or as it was also known at the time, the Continental Colony System. And this style of construction was made famous in 1897 in a town located near Berlin. The whole idea behind this style was to give patients a sense of community and comfort while they were being treated, as it consisted of many different buildings kind of at a distance from one another, and then like one main building that would serve as kind of the hub and the central point. It was known to produce a more positive experience, which I can totally understand. Um, It would make you feel like you do have some sort of independence and you're not just locked away in a ward. You're not able to leave, you're not able to go outside and you're just kind of like surrounded by all these other people. So yeah, I can understand why this whole system would produce a more positive outcome in treatment. In terms of housing, there were over 30 smaller buildings dotted around the grounds and these were known and referred to as villas. This would be where patients would be housed and they would be and they would house around 30 to 40 patients at a time. So that should kind of give you an idea of just how many people were being treated here during its operation. And the villas themselves were a very open plan. They had loads of windows because they thought like the more light that you get into the place, it's meant to make lights make to make you feel better. I know that nowadays they say like if you're suffering from mental illness or depression 
or anxiety sometimes getting outside into the sun can make you feel a bit better so yeah I totally get the idea around this as well. The other buildings that were dotted around the place were for more practical uses. Uh, there was a kitchen, a laundry room, a bakery, a general store and of course housing for the staff and nurses. There was even a little farming area where they would grow vegetables and have some farmyard animals. So Essentially, this whole system was designed to give the people being treated there a sense of independence and give them responsibilities that would ultimately help with their treatment and their mental health in general. Um, a lot of the patients would be working in the kitchen, laundry room, bakery, etc. Uh, also helping grow the vegetables and helping with the farmyard animals. So a great deal of independence while being treated at this place. The hospital would officially open its doors in October 1906, although there were already patients living there prior to it being fully completed. Due to the location of the hospital and the fact that there were no access roads, it was becoming increasingly challenging to get supplies as quickly as they were needed, and this eventually led to a private railway being constructed. It would run from uphill to the newly constructed Bangor railway station and was officially open to the public in 1905. This railway ran successfully until its eventual closure in 1921 when it was just basically no longer required. The road situation had become much easier to use and so there was genuinely no need for the train to be running. You can no longer see the tracks on the grounds but what you can see are kind of like the lines in the land where it would run in and out. Now just want to backtrack slightly to the opening of the hospital itself. For the most part, everything was running very smoothly, the patients were very happy, treatments were working, medical research was in full swing. So overall, the place, everything was going great. That was until 1915 and the beginning of the First World War. The hospital was commissioned by the military during this time to house and treat wounded soldiers, among other military things, other things that were needed. This meant the patients who were currently residing there had to be moved to alternative facilities to deal with the increasing number of occupants, which I can imagine was very distressing for those patients who had kind of become more comfortable there and were used to just the way that things were. But there was a war going on, so I mean, needs must. Due to the sheer numbers of wounded being brought into the hospital, additional marquees and tents were set up around the facility to house the almost 3,000 patients in 1918. So, so as you can probably picture in your head, during this time, the hospital was in full swing, nurses, doctors, surgeons running around like headless chickens, there was people, truckloads of wounded soldiers just arriving and so a lot of people were brought here during this time suffering from all kinds of different injuries and as you can imagine many of them were beyond saving and sadly lost their lives there. Once the first world war was over the hospital was officially reopened as an asylum in 1922 and with its reopening a church was to be constructed to serve as a war memorial adding another building to the already massive facility. Once again, the hospital was running smoothly until 1939, when it would be commissioned for a second time by the military due to the Second World War. This time, though, they just thought that it would be best to construct a completely separate building. Instead of moving everyone, and this building was named the Edinburgh War Hospital. Again, this was to increase capacity and used for more general medical emergencies. When the Second World War was over, this building was renamed the Edinburgh General Hospital and was to be strictly used to treat general medical needs separate from the asylum. 
This hospital was very famous for its advanced research into burns and plastic surgery, of which it had its own unit that opened in 1940. And I can imagine that this would come in very handy during the war with so many soldiers having injuries that would require reconstructive surgery. Now, as you probably all know, asylums don't exactly have the best reputation when it comes to the care of its patients and the effectiveness of the treatments they used. They were known for very extreme methods of treatment, such as shock therapy, bath therapy, physically restraining, and of course, lobotomies. In a lot of cases, the patients would just be straight up neglected and sometimes experimented on, hence why asylums don't really exist today the same way they did back then. Also, a lot of the reasons that you could be admitted to an asylum in those days are absolutely absurd. Things such as having an immoral lifestyle, nymphomania, asthma and grief. Yes, these were all reasons that you could have had somebody committed to an asylum for treatment. And as we know, these are not mental illnesses. These are just things that some people would maybe find undesirable in a partner or a family member or a neighbour. And they were used as an excuse to explain behaviour that they didn't agree with. So of course, if they met someone and they were doing something they didn't particularly believe in or it was against their religion or it was against anything that their lifestyle their morals then of course that person had to be mentally ill and they had to be committed now i i've just give you a few wee like just a couple of examples there but i've actually read the full list of reasons um like someone could be admitted to a mental asylum during the 1940s if if you have time go check that out because there are things on there that are un believable and it just shows you how far we've come in terms of the medical field and how we understand and treat mental illness but yeah again these things are not even remotely related to mental illness but it just kind of shows you where we're at with that kind of stuff looking into Bangor specifically I I did find that some inhumane treatments were used such as shock therapy and there are records of lobotomies being performed but from what I did find, the people performing these treatments, they, they really did believe that they worked and that they were helping these people and that there was nothing wrong with them. And these were the kinds of things that were just kind of seen as normal when treating mental illness during this time, like I said, which is absolutely horrifying, but it was just the norm during that time period. As far as horror stories and controversial doctors, I couldn't really find anything like that at Bangor. For the most part, records state the staff, doctors, surgeons all wanted to ensure the patients had the most positive experience while in their care and were always striving to do better. And if you have heard anything different than that, please get in touch and let me know. But I personally just could not find anything like that. It was mostly positive um, and I did a lot of digging, but it was mostly positive. Um, I even read about a surgeon who was helping patients at the asylum who were transgender. He was bringing them in and doing like surgeries to help them uh, transition. And he was doing that completely off his own back and he was kind of doing it on the sly to help these people. And I think that that is absolutely fucking amazing, if you ask me, that somebody in the 1940s was doing that to help people, to make them feel more at peace with themselves and express themselves freely without judgment. I mean, we're in... 2022 and there's still transphobia, there's still discrimination, there's still 
all that kind of stuff. So the fact that somebody in the 1940s was doing this is absolutely amazing in my eyes. Like most of these places though, it really did struggle to keep up with the enhancements in medication and the deeper understanding of what mental illness is as we know it today. The facility did try to implement new and better treatments, but it did eventually run its course and the village sadly had to close its doors, with the last patient leaving in 2004, which really isn't that long ago if you think about it. The locals were very saddened by this news, uh, as it was seen as kind of the heart of the community. It helped a lot of people and it was very close if they needed any sort of medical treatments. I think the nearest hospital is Edinburgh, which is a bit away. It was also a major contributor to jobs and opportunities to the people living in the communities nearby. So yeah, with it closing, a lot of people did lose their jobs. Since 2004, the site has been completely abandoned and uninhabited, but it has been used for several different things over the years. In 2005, the site was used to film several scenes from the movie The Jacket, which starred Keira Knightley and Adrian Brody. <sighs> I looked into this movie, I didn't watch it, I kind of just glanced over the synopsis, but basically the movie is about a war veteran who wakes up at a crime scene, suffers from amnesia, doesn't know what's happened, so he is then subjected to an ex- to all sorts of experimental treatments by a doctor at a mental hospital, and at some point in the movie there's time travel involved so yeah um i've never seen it nor do i wish to see it it sounds absolutely awful but if you've seen it and you like it that's all good uh let me know how many scenes uh you notice were filmed here at bangower um i will not be doing so the area was then used in 2009 as the site of exercise greengate which was a scottish counter-terrorism exercise carried out by the scottish government now, the actual exercise itself was to test out different methods of decontamination if there were to be a nuclear war or bioweapon incident in the UK, which I've got to admit is absolutely terrifying. The thought of that even happening is terrifying, and I hope it's something that I never witness in my lifetime, let me tell you that. I get Resident Evil vibes, and I don't like it. In 2005, planning permission was sought to demolish the still-standing buildings and redevelop it into... Uh, <clears throat> Can you guess what they want to redevelop it into, guys? Can you guess? Ding, 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 ding. Yes, it's a residential area. Yep, it's a residential area. This was accepted in 2020 due to the poor condition of the standing buildings. I think that this is sad. The fact that so many places, not just here in Glasgow, but the UK, Scotland, there are so many historical sites that are just knocked down and re purposed into residential like two bedroom flats modern flats these like student accommodation i think it's so sad i feel like right now again i live in the city so i mean it is what it is but i feel like everywhere i go i see construction and it's just it's like apartment buildings that's been built and i'm like there could have been a park there there could have been a library there there could have been a cafe there could have been a bookshop there oh I'm starting to sound really old, aren't I? I'm starting to sound very, very old. I'm only 27 and I'm moaning about apartment buildings. <sighs> Anywho, another reason the planning permission was granted was because there was a lot of illegal stuff going on in the abandoned buildings. On two separate occasions, drugs had been seized from the area and, and people were talking about a lot of drugs here. We're not just talking about like a few wee bags. We are talking a shitload of drugs. So people were being urged in the news not to go trespassing, which is another thing that was happening a lot. Um, a lot of urban explorers were trespassing and if you go to YouTube right now, 
you can find so many videos that were filmed here and I'm not saying that's a bad thing but I mean you really shouldn't you shouldn't be trespassing but I mean if that's something you're interested in and you want to go and look at those videos then please do so as long as you're being respectful I don't see anything wrong with it it's standing there it's not doing anything whatever but not everyone who was trespassing was being respectful Buildings were being trashed, windows were being smashed, graffiti was being sprayed all over the walls, people were squatting, like that's not respectful behaviour in my opinion. In short, it was posing a danger at that point to people's lives. The buildings were crumbling, um, so yeah that's a danger in itself if people are just going in and out there. So they decided to have it redeveloped into, as like I said, two bedroom apartments. I'm saying that, I don't actually know if it's two bedroom apartments, I'm just trying to be funny. It it could be something completely different. Residential to me is houses, apartments. Now, for the spooky part of the episode, or lack of spooky part of the episode. So in terms of hauntings and strange goings on, you would expect this place to have it all. It's seen two world wars, housed thousands of injured and dying soldiers. It has housed thousands and thousands of the mentally ill. But alas, it does not. Sorry to rain on your parade, people, but there are almost no ghost stories or sighting stories from Bangour that I could find. I looked high, I looked low, I watched documentaries, and there was nothing. But there was a few wee thing, odd things here and there that I'm going to share with you, just little snippets. They're not full stories, they're just kind of like passing comments, but I will share them with you regardless. So like I said there... A lot of people came and went from this facility, be it the hospital or the asylum, but a lot of people didn't leave. They unfortunately lost their lives while on property. This could have been from any number of things. Obviously soldiers dying due to their injuries. We have patients who probably just, some of them died of um, their illness or some died old age, all all different manner of things. And in 1930 there was a tuberculosis outbreak that killed 342 people alone. So there's massive amounts of death here, so I would be fully expecting this place to be haunted. There are also 566 unmarked graves on site. And the reason that they are unmarked is because the hospital board didn't think it was wise to have a cemetery on site in case it scared the other patients, which is totally understandable. Um, I personally find cemeteries to be very peaceful, very calming, very nice to have a wee walk around the gravestones, I feel. Not on top of anybody, well, I think that's a bit weird. But yeah, I find cemeteries to be quite peaceful. Not at night though, I've never been in a cemetery at night, but... The only things I could find ghost-related were just your general haunted place stuff. The staff would say that they felt a sense of uneasiness in certain areas of the asylum, or a feeling of being watched. Loud noises could be heard at night in parts of the building that were supposedly supposed to be empty and all that kind of thing. Uh, There was also shadows seen on the walls, all those kind of typical haunted house things. Um, On the flip side of that though, I'd read so many accounts of staff who claimed that they never experienced a thing while they were there. So is this place really haunted? Or is it the reputation and the image that is conjured in our minds when we hear the word asylum? Because when you hear the word asylum, you think mentally ill, you think psychopaths, you you think serial killers, you think all these very dangerous, very messed up people um, and the way that asylums are obviously portrayed in horror movies um, etc is very, very unsettling and don't get me wrong, there are so many cases 
of asylums around the world during this time period who were mistreating other patients and yeah that is pretty horrifying that is real life horror so I totally understand why they do that but to me this place is just that it is it a lot of the things that I read said haunted asylum haunted hospital but then when you read what it was talking about there were no actual accounts of why it's haunted or why people say it's haunted. I think it's just more the label of asylum and the fact that there's been so many deaths there and all of that combined is a good story, I suppose. Like I said, I've never been there. I've never been there overnight. I've never did an investigation there. So who am I to say that the place isn't haunted? I'm just saying that from what I've been able to gather, I haven't really seen anything overly supernatural or that kind of thing. But yeah, it is a pretty creepy place to look at. But again, it is an abandoned building. Most abandoned buildings are creepy to look at. I'm really sorry. I feel like I'm raining on a lot of people's parades here because I had so many messages saying, you need to look into Bangor. It's so haunted. It's this, it's that. So I was really excited to look into it and start reading stuff because I thought it was going to be major scary creepy haunted asylum vibes but um yeah i was a wee bit disappointed but you know you can't win them all now if you are to look up bangor the most probably the most famous thing that you're you're going to see is this graffiti that was found on one of the walls that says my mum put me here and several others that say haha like like the joker haha like haha on all the other walls so anytime i seen this uh, it was basically trying to claim that there was this young asylum patient who painted this on the walls after being dropped off there by their parents who didn't want them anymore because they were mentally ill. But I personally think that that is just bullshit and it's a more plausible explanation that it was done by one of the many trespassers that goes there to graffiti and damage the place and they probably did it as a joke because they knew it was an asylum that kind of thing. I don't think it was a patient because, let's be honest here, where is a patient getting red spray paint and where, you know, I just, I'm not buying it. But yes, it's very, very eerie. If you go online and look, you will see, if you've got us on Instagram, I'll put the picture up uh, with today's episode link. But if you haven't, then just go on to Google and write in Bangor Village Hospital and you'll see all the different pictures Some of them are very beautiful, of the grounds, of the church, of the inside of the abandoned wards, uh, and all that kind of stuff, yeah, and you you will see the graffiti, because it's like the most popular thing that pops up, but yeah, it's very eerie. But yeah, folks, that is all I have for you on Bangor Village Hospital, a massive place with so much history attached to it. I think it's a shame that it's been demolished for housing to be put on top of it. But what can you do? If you've ever been to this place or heard any stories from people you know, please do not hesitate to get in touch and let me know. I'll feature them in a future episode. I sadly just wasn't able to find anything. I kept reading this place is haunted, but not actually seeing anything to back that up, which is, like I said, disappointing. If you're interested in architecture, this is definitely one to check out as well. There's a lot of that I didn't go into in regards to that because it's just really not something that I'm interested in and I find it very difficult to talk about something that I'm not interested in. (laughs) That sounds like bitchy, but 
it's true. Um, also, uh, there's a lot of stuff about the medical field that happened in this hospital that's very interesting. So if you're interested in any of that kind of stuff, then also go check this place out. I hope that you have a fantastic week wherever you're listening. I will be back Friday with a brand new episode for you. But until then, stay weird, stay scared. Bye, folks.